have it now. So if you haven't been with us before or very often, um, we, we do that intentionally. Look, we know that that's a little bit of a, a chaotic scene as everyone gets up to leave, parents and kids. Um, and But we do it intentionally because we want the children here to grow up seeing mom and dad, um, others worshiping Jesus. We want them asking questions about who you're singing to and what does that word mean and why are you raising your hand and to ask why are we even staying in the service that they would know and see that they are a part of the church. We want them to know that they are part of our family here. So typically what we're doing here at Redeemer is we're kind of anchored in a book and we just work through it chapter by chapter over the course um, of weeks or months or however long we need to. Um, and we finished first, second, and third John just a couple weeks ago. And so this morning we are doing really just more of a, an Easter message. And then we will be picking up a new book to begin next week. And we'll be moving out of the New Testament and into the Old Testament. Um, and actually into the book of Amos. And so I don't know if that excites you or if that terrifies you. So we'll see next week with attendance if, if uh, Amos tickles your fancy or not. Right? We'll be moving into a minor prophet. Um, so we have just this, this air of just like festivity that, that surrounds us on Easter. There's just, um, an excitement. And, and yet the fact is, is we come with that expectation knowing you're not going to hear anything new this morning, right? That it would actually be cause for concern if you did. That we have a story, um, that is 2,000 plus years old that is rich and internal and impactful and life-changing, that Jesus is alive, that he beat sin and Satan and death, and that he lives. And so we come looking to hear and be reminded of the story of God's rescue of us. And, and, but it's interesting because here's what's going to happen this morning, right? That there are some of you who are here and you are pouring out your heart before the Lord and you are enthusiastic and you are hearing from the living God and you, you don't want it to stop. And there are others right now that if we're honest are going, I wonder what kind of gravy we're having today. Okay? And so it's unique that we can mix in a room like this folks who are meeting with King Jesus and, and we can also have utter indifference. Right? We can have both melded here together this morning. And so what we want, Lord, is to hear from Him. Look, it's, I've been both of those I have been the one that has been crying out, going, just Jesus, more of you. And I've also been the one that had a long-running, like, Jeremy soap opera in my head. Like, it was just these daydreams that started as soon as the sermon started. And I would cut them off at the end of the service. And the next week, I'd pick up right where, like, I had these long-running stories going in my head for years. As I sat in church, and I would have nodded and affirmed the truths that were being told. And they were making little to no impact on my life at all. And so what we want this morning is for our hearts to be stirred. We want our minds to hear and our eyes to see. We want our our hearts to ponder and our minds to comprehend. And we know that we need the Spirit and the presence of God to do that. That we can't manufacture and and, and well that up. So about 20 years ago, which it's getting, it's a little crazy for me to think that I have stories that start that way. Um, 20 years ago, um, I was in San Antonio, had just graduated high school, and was on a trip, 
And we ended up spending part of a day, um, taking the day off from the San Antonio heat. And we ended up in the mall down there. And myself and a new friend of mine, who was actually our student minister at the time, we end up in one of those, like, this, remember, this is 20 years ago, right? One of those kind of like 3D rides that would lift up and shake and, and it would take you kind of through a, like a, a visual sim- stimulation, right? So we get in this thing, and it raises up. Like, we can feel it raising up. And on our screen, there's this ring of fire, right? Because the game hasn't started yet. And we're sitting in there talking. We're excited. Um, and then nothing happens. And so, like, we keep going, is the, is the ring coming closer? <sighs> Not yet. Oh, no, wait, it's starting now. Uh, are you sure? Man, this is not a great game. Right? Like we just, we're having this conversation back and forth of like, has it started? Has it not started? What's going on? And, and we end up just, we're having a conversation. And we start to think, man, we've been in here a long time. And finally we hear a firefighter yelling, are you okay? Can you breathe? And like there's a crowbar starts to come through the door. Well, what had happened is we had gotten to the top and the whole machine had malfunctioned. And we were locked in this thing. We had no clue, right? So, like, we were just having, there's air pumping in and there's a a screen with a ring of fire on it. And then they pop those doors open and there are paramedics, firefighters, police. There's a crowd. There's people crying because they've never had this happen. And they're not sure if our dead bodies are going to be in there or what's going on. And so we're just kind of like, I think we missed the show. Right? Like, we've been on the ride, right? And nothing is happening. And the show's been on the outside. And here's, what we, here's why I share that story this morning. If we're not careful, Easter can be this thing that comes around once a year that we're like, is something happening? Is there anything coming? Is there anything more? And we're missing it completely because we have some sort of, like, kind of weird West Texas religiosity where we feel like, you know, we're supposed to at least nod our heads in agreement with Jesus when there's actually something going on (laughs) because King Jesus is alive he has beaten sin and Satan and death and he is hearing us today his presence is with us he is alive and so we don't want to miss right Jesus right because we're on in in a service right we don't want to see Easter as just this service and miss the fact that Jesus is alive and he is working and he is moving and he is doing something So that he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. That at Easter we are celebrating life, right? It is why there are brighter colors in the room and and clothing than sometimes there are, right? It's why we love it that it celebrates spring and and the grass is greening up. Newness of life, um, eternal life, celebration. Because it's what we were created for, right? There is an aching in us for this time of year. Because it's what we were created for, that we were created to be with God for all time, for eternity. He put us in a garden that was a perfect place with Him. And that we had work to do and we had life to live and we were meant to be there in this perfect paradise with Him. And then things were broken. And due to a lack of trust in God, due to outright sin and rebellion, and if we would just be reminded this morning that sometimes we want to make sin some kind of more far-off thing, it really just means it's when I don't trust God. It's, it is that simple. It's when I think I know better than He does. And, and so my actions follow suit, that I do what I want and not what He's called us to. 
that things broke, that death and rebellion and tragedy and a lack of trust entered the world. And it's why this morning, holidays like this stir something in us because it's reminding us of this thing that we're meant for that we don't actually experience enough. Because we live in a world that's broken and that there is heartache. Even this morning, if you've turned on the news, you'll see that we have brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, over 200 that have been killed this morning um, in attacks on churches, right? Like, that we live in a world that is both celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive and it is yet still broken and maimed and there is tragedy and there is suffering. And so when we have hope, And when we have life, we are drawn to that because we were created for it. We were meant for it, and our souls long for it. And then God has this detailed plan, right? That Jesus wasn't this last-ditch effort to rescue us. But that if you spend time in Scripture, you see that God has had this plan from before creation, before the foundations of the world. And so soon after the fall in Genesis where we, humanity rebels and sins against God, God chooses Abraham, a pagan, to begin to form a nation, a people that will be his. And he does it. He says, I want you, you're going to be mine so that you will be a light to the nation. So that the nations will see they're different because their God is different, because he's alive and he is real and they will be drawn to you. And then we move on. And we see this nation, this people of God, they are tasting the reality of the world because they are slaves in Egypt. For 400 plus years, bitter toil and labor at the hands of a harsh taskmaster. And then God steps into history and intervenes and he rescues his people out of slavery, pulls them out, reveals his strength and his might and his character as he takes them out of one of the world's great superpowers. And he rescues them and takes them into the wilderness and begins to lead them and guide them. And he provides for their needs. And he shows his character. And he's making them a people once again and a nation. Wanting the world to see their righteousness because it would be then pointed to him. They would see God for who he is. And we see then throughout the Old Testament... Just this back and forth of them loving and choosing and treasuring Jesus, or sorry, it's God, and then them not. And it's just roller coaster ride. And so one of the parts of the people of Israel's story was that they had a tabernacle that traveled with them when they were nomadic, and then a temple that was built in Jerusalem when they, when they finally had their place in the promised land. And in both of these places, the actual, the building of these things were sharing the story that has already happened to them. And so as we look at the tabernacle, this, this nomadic building or the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies in it. And in the Holy of Holies, it's where God's presence was to reside. And, and there was a veil that separated it from the rest. And so there was this physical barrier, this reminder to the people that what you once had in the garden where Adam and Eve communed and walked in the midst of the morning with God, that now is separated. And so the tabernacle and the temple were meant to be these reminders of the garden that what we were meant for, what we were made for is to be with God. And yet there is something that separates us now. And so there was this, this veil, this barrier that separated and reminded people, you don't get to go before God anymore. You actually have to have a mediator who one day a year will go in after this long list of sacrifices and cleansing. He will go in on your behalf. 
And so it would be there sit, set in the center of their, their campsite or in Jerusalem, right? And they would see it and they would know that blood is necessary, that a mediator is necessary, that there is separation, that there is a barrier between us. And they would be reminded it's because God is holy and we have failed. We have not followed him. We have not trusted him. We have rebelled against him. And they would hear the animals as they were slaughtered for sacrifice. And they would smell the smells. And they would see the blood that was necessary for forgiveness. They would know that there were priests who would mediate on their behalf. And that that was the place where God resided. And so when Jeremiah would say things like, There will be a day where I will form a new covenant, a new covenant, and you will not have to tell your brother or your sister or your neighbor, Know God, because they will be able to know God. That there was this hope that there would be a day where God would set things right and He would restore things. And so last week we were in Mark 11. And in Mark 11, Jesus curses a fig tree and He curses it on the way to the temple where he reminds them that this is supposed to be a place of prayer and you've turned it into a place of business. That the place where the nations were supposed to be drawn to see the one true God and to know him, you're now making it a, a, stock, a stock show. He's like, this isn't what it's meant to be. And he, what he was telling them is that the way that we're going to approach God moving forward isn't going to be through the temple anymore. There's a reason that we don't have sacrifices this morning, that we don't have a temple this morning. Is God, Jesus was telling them, this has not put off the fruit of righteousness that it was meant to do. And there's going to be another way to approach God, a different way to approach God. And so in Matthew 27, and we're going to look at a, a couple of passages. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45 We're going to go to the cross for a moment. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And so as Jesus says, it is finished, and as he dies, this veil, right, like Matthew and Mark, they just kind of reference it within one verse. They just say, and the veil was torn from top to bottom, like God is just ripping this veil. And the veil that they're referring to is the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. Right, that what we're seeing is that in the death of Jesus, he's saying, look, the separation between God and man is over. Right, the, the, the way that you're going to access me is not through these mediators anymore. It's going to be through Jesus. It has been rent. It has been torn asunder. And you have access to me now. And the access has come through Jesus. Listen to how the, the writer of Hebrews will say this. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 
15. So Hebrews 10, 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That is good news, church. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, I want you to picture the tabernacle and the temple here, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance and faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right, the author of Hebrews is saying, look, we have access to God now because Jesus' body was broken on our behalf. That it was crushed on our behalf. And then the, the veil was torn, saying that the way we get to him now, it's not that all of a sudden we're deserving of it. That all of a sudden, oh, you're not that bad. You haven't sinned that much. You haven't had that much rebellion. You haven't, you haven't shown that much distrust. It's that Jesus was our mediator. That he stands in our place to receive the the right wrath and just judgment of God towards our sin. And he takes it, though, innocently to then say, you can come before the Father. The veil is torn. I have mediated. I have made right what we could not make right. And so, church, right, he's saying as he goes through the temple, like that he has done this on our behalf. And so, with that in mind, would you hear Luke write of the resurrection? This is Luke 24. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to the rest. Right? That, that Jesus has done something on our behalf, and then he walked out of the grave. Right? Like, he beat all of our enemies, and is living today. So while later we will see that he ascends to heaven. And the disciples in the first of Acts will say, he'll tell them, hey, the great commission, go forth. And they'll say, how long do we do it? And he says, until I come back. 
And so that is the moment in the time and history that we are living in, is that we have been commissioned to be people of reconciliation because we have been reconciled, made right with God through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, Jesus is, is mostly not present physically. And yet it's written with that Jesus is still moving because he is hearing our prayers. He is moving in our midst. He has given us the spirit that God is alive and well. That access has been granted. We have no need for mediators. And so here's where I want us to finish this morning. Um, and this will be a, a shorter sermon than, than most weeks. That's my Easter gift to you. Um, we're, we're just going to do this. What difference does the resurrection make? Right? If we are here this morning celebrating the resurrection, what difference does it actually make? And I hope first and foremost where your mind goes is that you have access to God. Right? That what you were meant for and created for, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 in the garden, that, we, that, that, that humanity walked with God, what we see at the end of Scripture was, is we have a hope of heaven, that we will walk with God, that what Jesus is doing is he is restoring what was broken, that separation, that barrier, because God is holy and we aren't. That Jesus does what we could not do, and he takes us back to the Father. He gives us access to him. It means that your prayers are heard, right? They're not just for your mental stability. They're not just bouncing off the walls here. They're not just for the benefit of others. They are being heard and received by the living King because He is alive. He has beaten death. It means as you sing this morning, it is for your benefit and it is for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ. But they are also being heard and received as sacrifices of praise to our King who is alive. It means that you have access to power because He beat death. That's power. That you have access to security, to love. That Jesus is the priest, right? He is the final priest. That is mediated on our behalf. He was also not just the priest. He was the sacrificial lamb. And that he's the temple. Right? He is all of the system that was set up. All of it is found in Jesus. That he is the one that makes us right with God. He was the sacrifice before us. And that he is our access. He is our door. There is no veil any longer. It is through him. Because what happens is this is that as Jesus goes to the cross on our behalf, he, he imputes, He puts His righteousness on you. So it's not just that your sins are forgiven. You get the righteousness of Jesus put on you. That when God looks at you, He sees Jesus covering Jeremy. He sees Jesus covering you. Because He's given you something. And He's paid for something. Church, you have access to God. And when we live in a world that's all about what you have access to, what access is denied to you, to think about work with key codes and locks and all these like levels of, like you have access to the king of the universe, the creator, God, because of Jesus. We have to take advantage of that by spending time with him. The second thing is this, is not just that we have access, it means there's life. Right? And that all of these things are things we can nod our heads at or they can, like, impact us deeply. 
I'm doing a funeral this week. Right? Like, the resurrection matters because we're going to say there's life and there's hope. Because in death there is separation. Death reminds us, right, of the veil that separated us from God. Because it separates us from people and it, and it creates this heartache and this longing and this, this sadness. And yet we are a people of hope who will say death has lost its sting. Death is, has been defeated. Like the death died when Jesus came out of the grave. That it, we don't have to fear it any longer. And so we're people who don't mourn the same as the world because Jesus is alive. And he's shown that he beats death, that he has victory over life and over death, that it's eternal. And not only that, but that he gives us abundant life now. He doesn't just say, well, I've saved you. Have fun in heaven. He changes things now. He restores things now. I think it's interesting as we think about this idea of of the temple, the veil being ripped was that Jesus' flesh, his humanity, veiled him even to the disciples a little bit. Right? That people struggled with the idea that the Messiah would, would get tired and would eat and would sleep and would, would, would live a normal life. But remember at the Mount of Transfiguration, three of the disciples saw Jesus in his whole glory. Right? Like that, that his flesh was veiling him for a period. But church, there will be a moment in the future... Where Jesus is going to split the sky. And he's going to step back into history. And, and people won't go, wonder who that is. They're going to say, that's the king. And knees will bow. Some out of allegiance saying, that is my king. And others out of fear saying, that is terrible. Because it's going to be so impressive. And it's going to be so clear that I have stood on the wrong side of this thing. That there is access to God. He has restored that through the cross and through his resurrection. There is life and that there is hope. But here's, here's the one I want us to focus on the most this morning. Is that your circumstances currently do not get the final say. The cross and the resurrection say, no matter what is going on in your life today, has gone on or will go on in the future, they don't get the final say. And so if your life has been marked by loss and tragedy, sickness, hurt, pain, abuse, injustice, any number of things that mark and mar our world, those things do not mark you for eternity. They do not get the final say. Jesus' victory says you get it all. You get access to the Father and you get Him for eternity and you are called a son and daughter of the King. And so, look, we can nod our head in agreement and say, yeah, yeah, one day. Or we can begin to revel in the fact that your circumstances now do not mark you forever. That Jesus has shown power and victory over everything. And he gets the final say. But maybe this morning some of us need to be reminded of this too. Because right now life is easy or it's comfortable or you have power or you have money or you have security, or success, or a good reputation, and that doesn't get the final say either. You don't get to saunter up to heaven and say, I mean, you saw. I crushed it. Right? And some of us live that way. 
that, that this life, that those circumstances say, God, come on. You need me. That's not, that's not the story. The story is, is that we are broken rebels in need of rescue. And our circumstances, whether we win at this life or we seemingly lose at this life or we split the difference, don't get the final say. That Jesus is the conquering king. And he has made you sons and daughters of the king. You are brought into the royal family. For those who know and love and trust and treasure Jesus. And that gets the final say. That's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, right? Like that light and momentary are the things of this world compared to the surpassing weight of glory that is coming for us. Now listen, it does not mean that 60 years of, of struggle or 80 years of sickness or bad relationships, or hurt, or pain, or loss, that seems more than others, that, it's, that it is light or momentary. In its depth, and in its severity, and in its pain, and in its, and in its hurt, when Paul says it will feel light and momentary, that's not negating what you're going through. It's simply saying that what's coming is a lot better. And it's more than you can imagine. And so, church, if you leave with nothing else this morning, you have access to the king. And he is better than you think he is. He, there is more to him than you think there is. And you have not begun to scratch the bottom of his character, of his goodness, of his mercy, of what he has for you. And he gets the final say. And so the call this morning is this. To trust him. Because listen, we live in a place where pretty much everyone's going to nod their head in agreement and say, yeah, 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 Jesus. I affirm those things. And Scripture just doesn't say that that's enough. That what salvation isn't, what salvation is, is those who surrender to King Jesus. Who would say, not my way, not my will, but yours. And where you and I disagree, I trust you. And so it's surrendering ourselves and it's following him. There's action involved in this. And John, we, we have seen this recently as we've walked through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, would say it's people who believe the right things about God, meaning that Jesus is our rescuer, that the cross is sufficient. And it's those who then obey him. That's how we show we love him and that we love one another. Like that, that, those things do not save us. Those things are evidence that Jesus has rescued you. That you're, here, that you're his, and that you have hope for eternity, that you have abundant life now, that you have access to the Father, is that you look like Jesus in this slow process of him transforming you over your life. And so this morning, if your hope is in, I affirm Jesus, your hope is, is it's not enough. Our hope is in that Jesus has rescued us through the cross, and through his resurrection, and then that he calls us to know him, to trust him, to follow him, which means we become like him. For those that are his, that you belong to him, that you have heard Jesus call your name, and you have surrendered, and you have given yourself to him, and look, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're trusting him, and you're being transformed by him. Um, we have the Lord's Supper is set up this morning. Um, and I think we've got it in, in three different kind of spots in the back. 
and the band is going to come up here in just a moment. And we're just going to sing. And I want us to sing remembering that our king is hearing it, that he is alive, and that he is worthy of our worship. And at any point during those three songs, if you as an individual, as a family, with friends, however you want to do it, if you want to get up and go back and take the Lord's Supper, that we would remember that the hope that we have this morning in Jesus' life is that it was his body that was broken in the bread. It was his blood that was spilt in the juice instead of ours. That he got what we deserved so that we get what he deserved. Right? That we, it's what grace is, is that we didn't get what should have come to us. We get him. And so you're free at any point to go back and take the elements, come back, and let us just sing to our risen king this morning with these words in mind, that Jesus is better than you think he is, that he is eternal, he was not created, that he sacrificed himself on our behalf, that he was the humble servant king, that he is victorious over life and death and Satan, that he has shown that he has the power of life and death, that he brings us into the family, that he gives life and that he cares about you individually. He calls you by name And should we long and desire for more of him? Would he reveal himself to us this morning as we worship the resurrected king? Let me pray for us.